We'll be in Acts chapter 1 this morning. And today I'm going to make much of the church. Not Lockwood Church, though I love Lockwood Church, but the Church of Jesus Christ, of which Lockwood's a part. The church is the most important thing going on in the world. Compared to the church, our, our beloved country with its constitutional government is a minor player, a B-lister, a Johnny-come-lately. The church was around long before the U.S. came into being. It'll be around long after the U.S. is gone. The people of the United States act through legislators to make laws and through a president to govern and wage war. It's a brilliant system. But God Almighty acts through the church. We don't give enough thought to the church or the privilege of belonging to it. We're part of the most important thing in the world, united to the most important people who've ever lived. We are joined in the church to apostles and prophets who form its foundation and to saints across time and across space. We. We rarely think about it, but you know, the apostles are still part of the church. Thinking that they're gone just because we don't see them is like thinking that the foundation of the house is missing because we can't see it from where we sit in the living room. Paul doesn't say the apostles and prophets were the foundation of the church, but that they are the foundation. They're still playing their part, and we're connected to them by the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit in us is in them. It was the Spirit who brought the church into being and who binds its people together, people of all ages across time and space, heaven and earth, from those that we loosely call dead and those we loosely call alive to form one glorious church. It's probably early in the sermon for me to be interrupting myself, but in thinking of the church universal, it's worth pointing out that our loved ones in heaven may think of the dead and the living in a way almost opposite of the way we do. They're the ones who are alive, brimming with life, overflowing with life, and they know it. But from their perspective, the life is almost imperceptible in us. We're seeds that haven't quite yet broken the ground. Today we celebrate God's church. This is one of the most momentous days of the church year. This is a day for celebration and thanksgiving, Pentecost Sunday. It's the day we celebrate the giving of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. The importance of the Spirit in the world, the church, and in daily life cannot be overstated. What Christ did for us, the Spirit makes real to us. What Christ told us to do, the Spirit enables us to do. Because of the Spirit, we have a new identity, a new energy, and a new destiny. Because of the Spirit, we're part of a new family. Very often when we think and talk about the Holy Spirit in a sermon like this, or we read about the Holy Spirit in a book, we think and talk and read about what the Spirit does for individuals. Look through our hymnal sometime. Almost all our hymns concerning the Holy Spirit are about how the Spirit interacts with individuals. Breathe on me, breath of God. Fall on me. 
What difference will the Spirit make in my life? That's what I want to know. What does it mean that the Spirit causes me to be born again? How can the Spirit fill me? How can I know if that's happened? How does the Spirit speak to me, lead me, teach me? How does the Spirit give me peace, give me gifts, produce fruit in my life? You know, those are big questions, which, by the way, I hope to address in the upcoming series, Down to Earth, in practical ways, because sometimes we think about the Holy Spirit, it just seems sort of hazy to us. I'm going to talk about what the Spirit means to us in practical ways during this series. But it's important to know that the Spirit, what he does in me, is part of a bigger picture of what the Spirit is doing in the church and in the world. If we forget that, if we forget this is part of a bigger picture, we will actually hinder our experience of the Spirit. The Spirit is not all about me. The Spirit is all about Jesus. That's the most important and practical thing that we're going to learn today. The Spirit is all about Jesus. And it's when we're all about Jesus, we experience the Spirit. See, when Jesus is in reality, or he is in reality, when he is in practice, the Lord of the church, the Spirit is the life of the church. And we are the church and will experience his presence and power. So let's look at Acts chapter 1. This sets the stage for the era-changing arrival of the Spirit and the birthday of the church, which Paul will talk about in chapter 2. But we're going to stick to chapter 1, the first eight verses. This is Luke writing. He says, in my former book, Theophilus. Theophilus, by the way, means God-lover. There's a question of whether he's a real person or Luke uses him to represent all the rest of us. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he'd chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command, do not leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times and, or dates the Father sent by his own authority, but you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Those eight verses form the introduction to the book of Acts. And the author uses it in re to refer back to a previous book that he had written. Authors like to do that, don't they? A book that we know as the Gospel of Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. Even though that book covered Jesus' entire life from birth to death, resurrection, and ascension, Luke says that it was all about what Jesus began to do and teach. Now, if his biography covered Jesus' entire life from on earth, from start to finish, then why does he say it was about what Jesus began to do and teach? Because Jesus' entire life on earth is not his entire life. 
because what he began to do on earth, he has continued to do from heaven. Luke's first book, The Gospel of Jesus Christ, was about what Jesus began. His second book, The Acts of the Apostles, is about what Jesus continued. He is still doing and teaching. The idea that Jesus is still doing and teaching influenced the way the early Christians thought about everything. And it ought to influence the way we think too. Their lives were full of power, not to mention adventure, because they knew that Jesus was now acting through them. Think of Aeneas in Acts chapter 9. St. Peter says to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Peter knew that he wasn't healing Aeneas. Jesus was. He knew that Jesus was acting through him at that moment. That Jesus was continuing to do what he had begun to do when he was on earth, only now he was doing it from heaven. It was during the time Jesus spent with the disciples after the resurrection that he explained this new system, this new mode of operations to them. So verse 2, until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He gave these instructions during a 40-day period, that's verse 3, between his resurrection and Pentecost, or between resurrection and his ascension. What were these instructions about? They were about, still verse 3, the kingdom of God. Jesus spoke frequently about the kingdom of God before his crucifixion. What we easily forget is that the kingdom was still his primary focus after the crucifixion. He didn't give up on the kingdom. We get a peek into this 40 days. We'd like to know more, wouldn't we? But we get a peek into this 40-day training period in the Gospels. Jesus began <clears throat> this training by explaining the Old Testament scriptures to his disciples so that they would have context for the work that was set before them. He told them that the mission that they were going to uh, be on would launch in Jerusalem. He made clear to them that repentance and forgiveness would be proclaimed in his name. Now, that wasn't unfamiliar to the apostles. They had many times heard Jesus proclaim repentance and forgiveness, heard him urge people to repent, that is, to change their minds in light of the advance of the kingdom. So you're living here, and the kingdom is coming towards you. You better decide what to do about it. Change your thinking in light of the nearness of the kingdom, and they heard him offer forgiveness that people needed to enter the kingdom as a resident citizen. Also during this period, this 40-day period, the apostles learned that Jesus would send them out the same way the Father had sent him out. He vowed to accompany them as they carried out their assignment, and he promised them the enormous help of the Holy Spirit in fulfilling what was going to be an age-long mission. Now, it's important to understand that the promise of the Spirit, that we read about that in verses 4 and 5, 
is situated squarely in the context of the kingdom of God assignment Jesus was giving the apostles. If we miss this, and we do miss it all the time, even though Luke, and for that matter, John, couldn't have been clearer about it, if we miss it, we will end up thinking only about what the Spirit of God can do for me. The Spirit gives me gifts so that I can be productive. Well, that's good. The Spirit gives me peace so I can be relaxed. The Spirit helps me overcome temptation so I can be holy. The Spirit guides me so I can avoid mistakes. So that I, 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 if I make it all about me, I will not experience the Spirit because the Spirit isn't all about me. The Spirit's all about Jesus. Yes, it's important that I am productive. Why? Well, for Jesus' sake. It's, it's important I overcome temptation. For Jesus' sake. Yes, the Spirit guides me, not so that I won't make a mistake, but so that Jesus can act through me. This is so patently obvious in Scripture that it's surprising we overlook it. Why does the Spirit give gifts? So that Jesus can act through his church. Why does the Spirit speak? So Jesus can be heard. Why does the Spirit grow fruit in our lives? If you read the context, it's so that Jesus' church can be healthy. The person who wants the Spirit so that he or she can do something exciting, like speak in tongues or heal the sick, or feel something uplifting like awe or peace, will be disappointed and is in danger of ending up in hypocrisy. Now, here's what I, I, I want to make clear. I am not disparaging speaking in tongues or healing or feeling awe, not at all. But if the Spirit gives such things, you can be sure it will be for Jesus' sake. The Spirit is not an entertainer. He does not do parlor tricks. Jesus had already told the disciples, this is John chapter 16, verse 14, that the Spirit would be the conduit between him and them. He'll take from me and he'll give to you. He did not tell them that the Spirit would be the pathway between them and happiness. That's important. The apostles, they got it. They grasped the link between the Spirit and the kingdom mission that they were on. That's clear in verses 5 and 6. At the end of verse 5, Jesus told them, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And verse 6 opens, so, or therefore, that strong connector in Greek, therefore, when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? You'll receive the Spirit, so are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? They understood the relationship between the kingdom and the baptism of the Spirit. And, and notice what they say. Are you going to restore the kingdom? They understood Jesus remains the principal actor in all this. What he began, he's continuing. Verse 8 is one of, if not the best-known verse in the book of Acts. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This verse, 
when we hear it, we almost always hear it preached as a stimulus to do evangelism and world mission. And God has used that. But I'm not sure that that was its original intent. I doubt that Luke, when he quoted Jesus here, realized the church would one day use this as a way to promote evangelism to its members. There's no command in this verse. Have you ever noticed that? There's no command here. Jesus is not saying, once you receive the Spirit, I order you to start an evangelism campaign. Jesus isn't telling the apostles what he wants them to do. He's telling them what's going to happen. Also, when we read this, we, we might think Jesus is saying, you will tell others about my death, burial, and resurrection when you receive the Spirit. And that, without a doubt, is true. But I don't think that's all Jesus is saying. His disciples not only will be witnesses to what he has done, but also to what he is doing. That's certainly how it played out on the day of Pentecost. Read Peter's sermon sometime. Peter told people what Jesus had done on the cross and what he was doing at that very moment through the Spirit. He told them what Jesus began to do and teach and what he was continuing to do and teach. I don't think people would have responded to Peter's presentation like they did. 3,000 of them, remember, were added to the church that day. I don't think they would have responded to Peter's message about what Jesus had done in the past had they not seen what Jesus was doing in the present. The message of what Christ has done on the cross is magnified through the lens of what the Spirit is doing in the church. Separate the two. Proclaim the message of the cross without a demonstration of the Spirit's power. That's how Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 2. And there will be little response. People believe what Jesus did on the cross when they see what Jesus is doing through the church by the Spirit. See what God has joined together, let not man put us under. Our life in the Spirit with each other empowers our message of what Christ has done. Now, look, it's important to understand and to understand clearly. Get this. Jesus will never do something that contradicts the character and purpose he revealed on earth. Nor will he ever teach something now that contradicts what he taught then as preserved in the apostles' doctrine. You know, the Jim Joneses, and there are a million of them, will tell you that. It is not true. But knowing that, we can't put Jesus in a box and seal him up. He's not in a box. He's on a throne, and he's still acting in the world. He is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he's acting primarily through his body, the church. I told you I was going to make much of the church. Most important thing going on in the world today, the church. You will never be part of something bigger than you are being part of the church.
Go ahead and become state senator. Go ahead and become our representative to the U.S. Congress. You can become president of the United States. You will never be part of something bigger than you are being part of the church. You and I have known people for whom no local church was good enough. People who know it all, and they've gone off on their own to live the Christian life. Well, they have about as much hope of success as a finger severed from a hand has of a rich life. Yes, individual believers in, confessors of Jesus, have the spirit within. But the spirit within connects us to the body without That's what the gift of the Spirit at Pentecost did. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Paul writes, For we were all baptized into one spirit, by one spirit, into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, didn't matter. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. So not only is the spirit in us, we were all given one spirit to drink, but we are, by the spirit, in the body, the church. And as so often in Scripture, if you try to separate those two truths, you will end up in error. What God has joined together, let man not separate. All right, so what does all this mean? And what do we do with it on this Pentecost Sunday? Let me suggest just three things. One, get close to the church. Now, if you're visiting, that might not be Lockwood. That's okay. Get close to the church. And by that, I don't mean you need to be here for every event, every service. And I'm not saying get more religious. I'm saying get more connected. The church, not just Lockwood, but the church throughout the world and across time, the apostles and prophets, the foundation on which she rests, the saints, including us, the living stones of which she's built. The church is Christ's body on earth. He acts through his body just as you act through yours. Get connected. Don't be a dislocated shoulder in the body of Christ. Get connected. Second, expect Christ to act through you and through us together. All over the world, even here in Branch County, Michigan, Jesus is Lord. You know that, right? Jesus is Lord. He is still active. What he, he's not just waiting in heaven. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is acting now through his church. What he began to do, he continues to do. He's accomplishing his purposes, and he's doing it through his church. He's doing it through the people of the church, through us. So expect him to act through you. Begin your day by praying, Lord Jesus, here I am. I invite you to see with me through my eyes today. If you do that, you'll see things you wouldn't otherwise see. Hear with me through my ears. Act through my hands. Think through my brain. Lord Jesus, I present myself to you, a living sacrifice. Live through me today. And then watch what happens. See how he uses you. But it's not just you, it's us. It's us together. 
It's the body of Christ. Third, be about Jesus. That's, that's what we mean at Lockwood when we say in our vision statement that we are committed to Christ. When I say be about Jesus, I don't mean be about religion. I'm not talking about be all about getting into heaven. I mean make a decision to spend your life, your time, your interest, your energy serving Jesus. The best decision you can make. He's what it's all about, and it's to him that everything is leading Jesus is your future. Make him your present. On this Pentecost Sunday, I want to remind you that the Bible never tells us to be all about the Spirit. Sometimes people make that mistake. The Bible doesn't, and, and the apostles didn't. The Bible tells us to be all about Jesus. We need to be all in with him. Jesus told us, whoever doesn't give up everything he has can't be my disciple. You know what? He didn't say that because he won't permit it. He didn't say that if you don't give everything you have, I'm not going to let you be my disciple. He said that because anyone who tried would fail. You just can't. It won't, you won't succeed. But we will succeed when we're all about Jesus. When we start ordering our life around him, we will experience the reality of a spiritual world, the spiritual world in which we live. And the Father's gift, wait for the gift my Father promised, will become our most cherished treasure. Let's pray. I'm going to ask you to pray that prayer I just mentioned a moment ago. Lord Jesus, today see with me through my eyes, hear with me through my ears, act with me through my hands, think with me through my brain. Lord Jesus, here I am a living sacrifice for you. Now, you can't pray that if you've never crossed the line and given your life to God, trusting in Jesus. If you haven't done that, do that today. Do it now, right now. Rethink your life in the light of what's possible, the light of his kingdom. And, and forgiveness for all the things that would keep you out of the kingdom will be granted. Oh Lord, hear our prayers and empower us by your spirit. For the sake of Jesus, amen.